I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome! You've got digital folklore. This is the story of Perry Carpenter and Mason Amadeus. Oh, and a talking raccoon named Digby. There's no time to explain. Together, they're on an adventure to unlock the secrets of modern folklore, interviewing experts, and delving into online rabbit holes. But, <laughs> as it turns out, they may be in over I'm Perry Carpenter. And I'm Mason Amadeus. And this is Digital Folklore.
And our main story tonight centers around a strange disappearance. Two podcast hosts and a raccoon have gone missing. Harry Carpenter and Mason on the dais. Hosts of the popular podcast, Digital Folklore. Were last seen entering Todd's pawn shop more than six months ago. No one reported them missing until this past week. Raising suspicions about the claim that the podcast is actually popular. But even more importantly, raising suspicions around what may have happened to them. The investigation remains ongoing and anyone with information is urged to contact local authorities. I'm really starting to think we're alone, dude. Keep your eyes open. I don't know that we're in the clear. Well, you think this is still part of Todd's whole thing? I don't know. It could be. I feel like this might all be a trap of some kind. Oh, God. I don't know, man. It kind of seems like the trap already went off in here. This carpet is disgusting. Yeah, I've been trying to not think about what we may be walking on. It's the fact that I haven't stepped on a single spot of dry carpet. Uh, Another door coming up. Empty. Yeah, same stupid yellow wallpaper. Mm-hmm. I feel like my eyes have jaundice. I hate it here. If we keep walking, eventually we have to get somewhere, right? I spend hours and all I'm getting is thirsty. You could drink that bottle of almond water we found? Yeah, yeah right. It is sealed. Yeah, but it, it also is almond water. And it was on the floor for God knows how long. Well, you can't be that thirsty. If I get desperate enough to drink almond water, it's already over for me. Have we already been here? I'm not sure. It all really does look the same. It would really suck if we were just walking in a big circle. No, I I think the layout's different. I don't don't know, man. It's hard to tell. Yeah, everything is just heinously yellow and wet. Hello, you've reached the Digital Folklore Podcast. We're not here right now. We're probably out doing some kind of big investigation that's super important, or maybe not. But uh, anyway, leave a message, and we'll get back to you. I go by Smee. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Jackalope on the Digital Folklore Discord server. Folklore has been important to me for well over a decade. Uh, I had to drop out of my folklore studies because of health issues, I never lost my love for it, and I never stopped studying it. I've continued doing folklore, fieldwork, and ethnography as a volunteer public folklorist, but I felt so disconnected from the folklore community. It's hard to feed a passion alone. So finding the Digital Folklore Podcast was a huge unlock for me to reconnect, especially the Discord community. We're just a bunch of nerds nerding out on folklore, and it's not an exaggeration to say it feeds my soul. I shared some of my own work and also listened to others share some of their own. Folk necromancy is still blowing my mind, so a shout out to Dorian. My favorite part of the Digital Folklore Podcast is that it's real folkloristic folklore studies. We're really digging into the folklorist perspective on things like ascension or identity negotiations or community or social norms, stuff that really helps us unpack what's happening. Hey, this is Zach. I'm a software engineer and part-time uh, tabletop RPG writer working on Bloodlines and Black Magic. Digital Folklore has been hugely helpful in my writing. 
One of the things that really stood out to me was the podcast talking about European ideals around changelings and babies being stolen. It was a story that I had always taken at face value as just kind of like a fairy tale, but it didn't occur to me that there may be real-world connections behind those stories, such as uh, how people deal with losing babies to illnesses or other things that they couldn't understand, and so they interpreted it through a lens of folklore. And that really made me re-examine a lot of what I look at in stories. Hey, this is Halloween Eve. My pronouns are she, her. So I do have a family um, story that I would like to share with you guys. This was right before my dad was born. So somewhere in the 1950s, 1960s, a Hindu priest was looking for a place to meditate and had asked one of his family members if he could meditate at this big tree that was on their property. And of course, they were devout Hindus and allowed him to meditate there um, before he passed away. And now there's a temple in his honor. And according to my parents, his remains are still there. So yeah, that that's a piece of family history, family lore. Um, Thank you for sharing this podcast with the world. This is Maddie Howard calling in from Oregon with pronouns he, him. I wanted to congratulate the fellows over at Digital Folklore for doing an excellent job with an audio medium, really taking it full tilt. And I just really appreciate all the editing prowess, all the little fun bleeps, sweeps and creeps to, to quote Spaceballs for you, of course. Folklore is very important to me as an independent folklorist myself, Um, obviously biased, (laughs) but um, I really do appreciate digital folklore specifically. I grew up with the internet by my side and it's influenced me directly in ways that I can trace and can't trace. I found that digital folklore has done a great job of poking at specific crevices here and there and really showing how this part of the folkloric discipline really needs more love and attention. End of new messages. You know, I almost don't want to say it, but I, I kind of wish we had our recording gear. I was actually thinking the same thing. Like, this would be fascinating to document for the podcast. This would have been the perfect spot to record our episode on liminal spaces. Oh, it would. And we had that great interview with Brittany and Sarah from Carter Hall that we recorded way back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We have Sarah and Brittany. Hey, Digby, can you fix that? Thanks. Uh, we have line for Sarah him. and Brittany from the Carter Hall School of Folklore and the Fantastic, and we are here to talk about liminality, I think is the topic we chose, right? Yeah. Awesome. If you'd each just give a quick intro, you know, 30 seconds about your background. I know some of our listeners have heard from you before, but anything that would give context uh, would be great. And then, of course, in our show notes, we'll point everybody to your website and where they can find more. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. So I am Dr. Brittany Worman. And I'm Dr. Sarah Clito. And together we are the Carter Hall School of Folklore and the Fantastic, where we teach people how to re-enchant their lives through folklore. Lots of folklore classes, lots of classes on fantastic literature, 
lots of things about how to use fairy tales and other kinds of folklore in your day-to-day life. We earned our PhDs in folklore and literature from The Ohio State University in 2018 and have been lucky enough to give talks at the Smithsonian, Library of Congress, Profs and Pints, and a huge variety of other places as well. We also have a series streaming on the Wondrium channel all about vampires. For people who are just hearing this the first time or have heard the word used but may not have a formal definition for it, what is the concept of liminality and then how does that apply? In its sort of simplest form, it is being betwixt and between. It is being on a threshold, kind of in the midst of transition in the midst of transformation. It's the spot when you're moving from one thing to the next thing. A a transition is really what liminality is. It's been around, uh, I think, since like the beginning of the 20th century, but there is an anthropologist named Victor Turner, and he's the one who really kind of dialed in our current meaning of liminality in this essay called Liminality and Communitas. And he says that in liminal spaces, they're, um, they're neither here nor there. They are betwixt and between the positions assigned and arrayed by law, custom, convention, and ceremony. And then later on in the essay, he says that they are a realm of pure possibility. And we've always loved that, like the realm of pure possibility. You haven't committed to a choice yet. You haven't yet committed to an outcome. When you're in liminal space, you could still be anything or anything could still happen. It's funny. I I always think of airports uh, when I think of liminal spaces, like airport time. You might have a beer at three in the morning because you're you're in an airport. Like what what else do you have to do? There's nothing. Yeah. An airport is a great example of a liminal space because like you're not going on a trip to go to the airport, right? Right. (laughs) You're in the airport because you want to get to another place. You want to get to another state. So it's on that process of like point A to point B, you are in the middle, you are on the line and you know, no no one, no one really wants to be in the airport. (laughs) (laughs) But you, you put up with it because of the transformation and journey that you were hoping to experience. But like you said, there is kind of an allure to that infinite possibility and also like no expectations of being in an in an in-between space. And then there's also other times where like when you can't turn off work and just relax at home or something like that. I feel like there might be, I don't know exactly how to articulate it, but I feel like there might be this duality of like being in a liminal space is captivating, but also kind of sucks sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think something that really illustrates this well is the liminal status of being a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. There is the Um, period of childhood and then the period of adulthood. And in between, you are in this liminal place where you're not quite a child and you're not quite a grown-up, but you are experiencing things from both sides. And that can be really, you know, there's lots of possibilities there, but it can also be super uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. I think that really um, goes back to what you were both saying a moment ago about how it's double-sided. It can be really exciting and it can also feel really bad. And I think that's encapsulated so well in so many parts of being a teenager because it's exciting. You know, you can maybe drive a car or something for the first time. But at the same time, there are all these new 
pressures and stressors and you don't really know exactly who you were becoming yet. Like, I think that's such a a useful one for pinning this down. Because you don't have full agency. You're still under the care and uh, direction of others at that point, yet you, you have like a taste of it. Yeah, you're an adult in training without really yeah. <laughs> getting to be one yet, but you can taste it. Well, is that's that's also where you get to tons of different rituals and initiation types of activities, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the movement from one part of your life to another as well. Is that right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of those rituals are designed to make that transition very concrete in a way that we've not lost exactly as a society, but there's a lot more feeling of there being this liminal time between being a child and being an adult. Whereas other cultures and at different points in the past, there have been more specific points where it's like, okay, you start here, you go through a very liminal position in a ritual that lasts, you know, not that long, but then you come out on the other side as officially an adult. And it removes a lot of the uncertainty that surrounds it nowadays, I think. Yeah, it kind of creates a container for that uncertainty, you know, while you're not yet in one place or another. Like some of the ritual spaces that that we still have, that we still have access to, are um, like when you're in the middle of a graduation ceremony and you haven't like moved the tassel yet. Mm. And then moving the tassel or throwing your hat up into the air is supposed to be like the signifier that the ritual is now done. You are officially, you've graduated literally from this part of your life and you've now entered a new phase or even like during a wedding ceremony, you know, you're kind of in between being technically single and technically married. And then at the end, it's like, you know, you stick the the ring on or, or you kiss your spouse. And that's another way of signaling like, okay, this weird transition part, it's done. You've done the thing. And now you're in your new, your new location, your new phase. And there are certain cultures that do have a more specific one for teenagers in particular. I'm thinking Mm -hmm. especially of like bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs or quinceaneras or stuff like that. But by and large, we've lost a lot of them. Hey, listeners, if you're like me and enjoy escaping to a real movie theater, then Regal Unlimited just makes sense. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And your membership lets you get into premium format shows like IMAX and 4DX at a reduced cost. Plus, you'll save 10% on all non-alcoholic concessions. Regal Unlimited. It's the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. So, if you're planning on seeing a couple movies this month, join Regal Unlimited. Now is the best time as summer's coming up. Sign up now in the Regal app or on the website at regmovies.com slash unlimited. And be sure to use the code FOLKLORE24 to get 10% off a three-month subscription. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey ya, Mason here. And I don't think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I have two cats, two big old boys named Chester and Cinders, and I love them both very much. But I didn't grow up with cats, and I've never suffered from general allergies like pollen, so it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that I was allergic to them. No joke, when I started working from home, I would say things like, wow, I feel like I'm losing my voice every day, or isn't it weird, I can't breathe through my nose for some reason. Ultimately, it was my partner who said, that really sounds like allergies. 
allergies. And long story short, now I take a Claritin every day. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. There's an intersection I kind of want to pull on. It's a, a bit of a sideways one, I feel like. Um, and it has to do with the way that we perceive time. Because as having moved to working from home, I feel like my entire life became very liminal for a little while because there's like no separation between work, home, relaxation, productivity. There's this sort of sense that we have nowadays, or I feel like a lot of people I talk to share that everything is becoming a bit more liminal and all the days are blurring together. And I wonder if any of that has to do with um, the loss of these sort of third spaces and liminal spaces we exist in together to act as social glue and also the separation we have between our online lives and our in-person lives. Because if you're out in the world during the day, you come home and like are on your social media, on your phone or something like that. And that is less of an escape and more of an extension of the real world nowadays in terms of how people think about it. So I'm wondering if there's anything to this weird theory of liminality needing to exist in liminal spaces fairly regularly to sort of keep your sense of place or like your markers of time moving by. That's really good. There's a lot of just really interesting stuff in there that I want to try to at least start to unpack. I do think that there is something about dwelling in liminal spaces indefinitely or too much that is too uncomfortable for humans. Like you can think of it in terms of like the airport, you can think of it in terms of being a teenager, like whatever, like we're not built to be in them all the time. They're important, but we can't only be there. But I also completely agree with you that it does feel like more and more space is becoming liminal. And I think it's because we're losing so many of these markers and so many of these containers, not even just around like big life transitions, but about like daily rituals, even literally moving from space to base. Um, you know, Brittany and I both work from home and goodness, especially like during the pandemic, I was losing my mind, I think largely because of a lack of differentiation between between anything. It all felt like liminal space all the time because you could never complete the transition. You were just always kind of in, in between and we, we lacked so much information. So I feel like th that felt like a really extended liminal period. This is jumping back towards the beginning of what you said. I don't think I would consider like a library or these third spaces in of themselves to be liminal because they're the destination that we would go to. But I still think that they're connected to liminal spaces because we would still have to go through liminal spaces to get there, if that makes sense. And that their absence, therefore, is kind of contributing to this markerless, less differentiated, more liminal experience that we are all sharing at the moment. I also think it's worthwhile to go back to your comment about COVID in particular uh, mm -hmm. and that period of time. And I think possibly one of the reasons people feel like liminal space is just all space now <laughs> is that there was a fairly clear start to the time of COVID. And I don't feel like there was a very clear marker that ended the time of COVID. We are not, we've not gotten that particular moment of, okay, this is over now. It's not really over. And we've just made adjustments and things are a little bit different now. And 
for a lot of people, COVID is going to be forever. And that is something that is hard to wrap our head around because we still view that COVID time as a very liminal time when everything was different. And I just don't think we've ever gotten the satisfaction of that being really over at all. We never got the marker, never closed the container. Yeah, you're right. Those markers are there both literally and symbolically in almost every other area of of life or even emergency management, right? So you have mm-hmm. crisis declared, um, everybody's working on it, and then you usually get like an all clear signal, whether even if it's if it's not even um, just a verbal thing, there might be a, a some other kind of audible marker or some kind of lowering of the DEFCON level that you can see. But with with COVID, you're right, we didn't get any of that. All all we get is what's the next wave going to be? Well, and, and we had such a big, strong, unified start, mm-hmm. basically, almost globally. Like all of the lockdowns happened pretty close together. Like it's COVID now. And then, yeah, the end was just a bunch of fizzling and changes yeah. is still there, but just faded a little bit. There wasn't a marker of it ending. I didn't think about that, but <laughs> it's hurting my brain now to think about it. <laughs> Thanks, Brittany. <laughs> I always like to hurt your brain. The beginning of COVID for me, so I was in San Francisco and I remember getting the alerts that the governor in San Francisco uh, declared a state of emergency. And then I was still at that conference for another two days, got to the airport and it was a freaking madhouse. And then within like three days of being home, the lockdown happened. And I remember watching, I think it was Seth Meyers. And he was basically saying, all right, we're going to be off the air. We don't know when we're going to be back. And it, it felt like the beginning of a zombie movie mm-hmm. um, because you're seeing the literal shutdown of everything and, and like these news commentators and everybody else saying, yeah, we'll see you sometime. We'll see you maybe sometime in yeah. the future. <laughs> and, and we never had the unified every, everything comes back at the same time. We've had Mm-mm. ins and outs and ins and outs. And in the middle of that, like Mason said, a ton of social and political and economic strife that has not yet untangled as well. So it's this big, nasty meatball of stuff that we can't figure out how to deal with. (laughs) And it's just psychologically exhausting because we just keep waiting for like a, are we done? Like, are we, have we emerged from the other side, you know, like a a butterfly from, from the chrysalis horror and like, no. (laughs) During the the lockdowns, we all got to see like our most familiar places completely abandoned, empty, shelves empty, parking lots gone, nobody out on the streets. So I I wonder what that did to us as well. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think there's, it's interesting because a lot, I feel like there are a lot of, like during COVID with those eerie, unsettling images of like empty grocery stores or empty parks and things like that, where people were posting that stuff and using the word liminal to mean like, abandoned abandoned and unsettling and like this this is a spot that should not be abandoned it makes me feel weird and so i'm going to apply this word liminal to that image but i'm not i mean those places are kind of liminal space but aren't at the same time yeah like folklorically we wouldn't call those liminal spaces i've I've noticed this and just like sort of the colloquial use of Mm -hmm. liminality lately it seems to now be attached to abandoned and empty. That means it's liminal. And that's actually not how a folklorist would use the term. But I do think it's connected. I think it's linked because they are they are 
abandoned because we were stuck in this other kind of liminality or almost because the liminality was closed, you know, we couldn't make the transition. We couldn't get there. So I think that word sort of affixed itself to these images as a way of expressing this feeling of liminality that we were all in, even if the word doesn't necessarily accurately describe the image. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I I definitely, I think I just used it that way because that association became so strong in my brain. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's, It's a space in between that is liminal. It is that journey. It is not a destination. So take us back to like some of the roots of liminality then. So from a folkloric perspective, where do we really see that express itself in some of the myths or fairy tales that we may be aware of or some of your favorite that some of us may be blissfully ignorant of? To start off, um, there are a few just places in folklore, sort of generally speaking, or folk narrative at least, that strike us as exceptionally liminal in what they are and what they represent. I think in particular of fairyland in general, this idea of this place that is not our world, but not you know, the world of the dead or the world of uh, another plane, but some kind of other world that exists alongside us. Which makes me think of the back rooms, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That the place where you can, where possibility is just everywhere. And that pops up in a variety of ways in all kinds of folklore, um, particularly particularly legends about fairies and then like all kinds of mythology. I also think of places like the River Styx in mm-hmm. Greek mythology, where, you know, on one side you have the living people, you cross the, the river and you're in the world of the dead. And so just that as a place in folklore functions in a very liminal way. Speaking of the River Styx, we've got to at least mention Persephone, right? Who is the goddess of spring and queen of the underworld. Um, And she's able to kind of like move back and forth between these two incredibly different um, realms. Like she's one of the most liminal of the, the goddesses, gods or goddesses to me. Yeah, absolutely. I love thinking she's like the I want to say patron saint of liminality, but that's kind of <laughs> mixing, kind of mixing <laughs> religions. But <laughs> I'll go with it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that, that's great. And as for fairy tales, there, there are so many different ways that we could think about liminality in fairy tales. But I think for Brittany and I, one of our favorite favorites is to think about sleeping maiden stories. The most famous of which are stories about Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, and we have these protagonists who go into these liminal states. They're not alive. They're not dead. They are in an enchanted sleep that is otherworldly. And uh, it's just perfect for for thinking about liminality because um, a lot of the early arguments about like, what do these fairy tales mean? You know, trying to, to analyze them and understand them. Sleeping Beauty in particular has often been thought of as like a metaphor for the rite of passage of growing up or the transition between seasons. Like that's always been understood as a fairy tale that is about the process of change, the process of becoming, and ultimately about liminality. And I think we see it, you know, just as much in Snow White in a slightly different way, where we have a story that's much more about like, God, this this poor protagonist who just keeps, you know, like being killed over and over and over, but she keeps kind of bouncing off of it. You know, she dies three times in the story, but it never really takes because she's always stuck in this liminal state 
instead. And in that way, that was a, a pretty hopeful story, right? Yeah. That she keeps, uh, liminality is kind of what keeps her afloat, what keeps her surviving. And I think it's also important in Snow White and in Sleeping Beauty for that matter is that they go to sleep princesses and when they wake up, they are queens. Mm-hmm. You know, there is definitely the enchanted sleep is used as a marker for the between states. And that's interesting because if you talk about like being conscious of these markers in this transitory period, this protagonist is unconscious. <laughs> like there's there's no agency. So there's there's this weird play between uncertainty, fear, possibility and agency that I feel like all, all of those elements are mm-hmm. being tugged on in terms of like what parts of our psyche are engaged. Yeah, it's so weird. I feel like in a liminal state, you are simultaneously not able to do anything, yet you are doing something incredibly profound. Like always. Yeah. (laughs) It's a waiting period, but it's a waiting period that makes a big difference. (laughs) What are some of the interesting ways that this concept comes up like in contemporary legend or cautionary tales? That's a good one. Gosh, we've been thinking a lot about legends recently. So it's, it's fun to think about it in terms of liminal space because oftentimes, you know, like legends about, say, ghosts or fairies have a lot to do with liminal space. But if you think about like more contemporary ones, often I feel like legends spring up about places that or, or things that feel betwixt and between because they provoke some sort of the world is more unknown and magical and strange than we give it credit for. And that can, I think that can feel often like being in a liminal space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on a more um, concrete note too, a lot of the time in a legend or any sort of cautionary tale, fairy tale, um, woods or forests are almost always liminal spaces because they're, they're usually not the destination, right? There's something that you know, Little Red Riding Hood is going through to get to her grandmother's house to bring it back to, to the fairy tale. And that that forest or wood is absolutely a liminal space. But I think we see it too sometimes in some versions of Slenderman, for example. You know, he shows up around schools and playgrounds, but he also shows up in the woods. And I think in those stories, the woods are there very much as a liminal space that, you know, you, you might have to go through, but is, you know, holds dangers. It's not, you know, a container for humans, right? right? Something's possible there that might not be possible in other places. Exactly. I also think of maybe um, car legends as as places where liminality pops up in contemporary legends. Again, one of the reasons that car legends are so popular is that it is a space that we feel like we have a lot of control over, but we really don't. And, you know, uh, we do things in the car like, you know, sing along to the radio as if no one is watching us. But yeah. in reality, people definitely are. The reality is the person next to you is going, oh my God, oh what my is God, that crazy what is that doing? <laughs> <laughs> But you feel very safe and protected in your car. So a lot of contemporary legends are about like invasions of cars, about ghosts invading cars, like the Vanishing Hitchhiker, or about like the man in the back seat, who somebody who has infiltrated the place that you thought was safe. But the fact that it is a vehicle and it is a a mode of going from one place to another does uh, increase that liminal aspect of it. Yeah. Being in a car is just inherently liminal. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you're you're in transition. You're in transit. Right. I, it's, it's backtracking just slightly, but I 
I was struck by when you brought up the woods as an example, decoupling liminality from unsettling, because like we talked about, that is definitely an association that was made during COVID. And then also the, the misuse of the word aside, like a liminal space can be enchanting and like fun and innocent like childhood, or it can be scary like the woods. So liminality doesn't have any bearing on a positive or negative emotion, just sort of an out of time, out of space feeling. Yes, a thousand percent. And I think it really makes sense when you boil it down to the fact that liminality is the process of change. And the process of change can be really exciting, and it can also be terrifying and uncomfortable. And I think that's why liminality itself can be any of those things. I think, um, you know, in recent years, it's really taken on an association with the anxiety parts and like the discomfort, but it doesn't have to mean that and it doesn't only mean that. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Do, do you think we're going to be able to find Digby? Man, I, I've been thinking about it. And um, part of me thinks that Digby may not actually exist. What, what do you mean? If, if Todd was the architect of our whole reality, I think it follows that Digby may have been a construct of some kind. Oh. I mean, hmm. looking back, it, it seems like Todd based a whole bunch of things just on media tropes. Right. And, I mean, talking animal sidekick definitely fits the trope. Yeah. Sorry. Man, that sucks. I know. Um... For what it's worth, I do actually miss him, too. But, I mean, like, what if he's not gone, though? Like, like maybe if it was only the implant, he could just be a normal raccoon now. Hmm. And maybe he crawled up in the ceiling or something. Yeah, maybe. It, I, I would just hate to be wrong, you know? Like, I don't want to leave him trapped here all alone after everything that... Hey, what? Listen. Is that, is that Todd's voice? Sounds like it. It doesn't, it doesn't sound right, though. Let's move closer. Careful. It's a computer? It's more like a kiosk. What? Resuming normal operations. Thank you for choosing T-O-D-D. 
I'm so confused. I don't think we have to whisper. Okay, okay. Nothing's happening. So what then? Todd's like this McDonald's kiosk-looking thing in the middle of a decrepit, flooded office building? Only one way to find out. All right, Todd. The jig is up. Todd? Todd. Look at this. It's all like beige plastic. Todd, I know you're in there. We just heard you. Uh, maybe try the button? On the... Hello. Yeah. Welcome to station 16A of the Transitive Operational Distributed Database. You oh. are here. Transitive Operational Distributed Database. Todd. So... You're kidding. Then where's here? I mean, maybe if we tap... This is level zero of the back rooms. Quadrant JX90. Active entity count? Three. The next nearest Todd station is level zero, the back rooms. Quadrant B070. Holy crap. Oh, no. We're in the back rooms. That's, that's like, bad. I mean... Right? It's not ideal. I never really got into the back rooms lore, so I, I have no idea what we're up against. Yeah, I only know a little bit, but... I think one of the things I remember reading is that you're not supposed to be able to enter level zero as a group, so we we should have been split up. What did it say about three entities? I'm guessing that's you, me, and the kiosk, right? That makes sense. What else is on this thing? Main menu. Settings. Administrative settings. Please enter the administrator password. Incorrect password. Type password. Incorrect password. One attempt remaining. Ah, forget it. I thought I'd get lucky. Did, it, did you try password? I did try password. That was the first one. Did you try monkey? I did not try monkey. Did you try bacon? We only have one attempt, and then we're locked out wait, of this terminal. Wait. Back in the menu. What? what hmm? Hold on. Let, let me huh? let me see this for a second. Yeah, go for it. Main menu. Instances. Private instances. Oh my god. What? Look. We. Right. Oh my god. I, I'm gonna open it. Yeah, it, open it. Private instance, digital folklore. Status, suspended. Divergence point, 08XA7, delta E4. Compressed size, 18 zettabytes. Comment, keep your eyes open. Holy smokes. That's, it's like our whole reality. Everything we experienced. This, this instance. Yeah, um, whatever. Creepy. I suddenly feel very small. Is this what astronauts Wait, feel like? Hold on. There's, instance data. There's more stuff in here, too. Transfer relay. Transfer relay? Open instance file. Transfer relay logs. Ah, what? This must be how stuff from the real world got into our little pocket dimension. It, it logged all of our video calls. Look, look. There's Lauren and Cherokee. Libby Tucker. Outgoing data, too. I mean, look look at all these error codes. Each of the dates line up with the times that we lost control of the podcast feed. Oh, good. Well, at least that means the podcast probably got out in the real world. Oh. Hang on. Recovered files. What's this? Hey, what? Guys! Digby! Digby! Digby, you're okay! I'm more than okay. Wait until you see what I found. Perry had me all messed up thinking you might not have been real at all. Where are you? I'm in some kind of control room. The screen says it's level 27. Took me a bit to figure out how any of this stuff works, but this place is stacked. Control room? Yeah, I'm talking computers, microphones, cameras, like an abandoned production studio or something. 
there's also a whole fridge stocked up with almond water. Oh, gross. Don't don't drink that, Digby. How do we get to you? So you're not gonna love this, but you gotta tear up a good chunk of that wet carpet and crawl down inside. Oh, wait. Yeah, sorry. I, j I just realized I've got to go starve to death, uh, so I'm gonna have to... Harry! Well, that came up easy. <laughs> the smell! It's like cheese off a pizza. There is no universe, alternate or otherwise, in which I'm crawling underneath that. All right, I'll go. Um, what, feet first or head first? I went head first, but I wouldn't recommend it. Right. We oh. Mm. Wow. It's, um, interestingly warm and disconcertingly moist. Try not to get any of that juice in your mouth. It burns. Got it. Close your eyes. Pull your head in. Hold your breath. You should sink right through. What? Ah! Oh, Perry! Hey! hey, Perry. Whoa, Digby. Welcome to level 27. You are not kidding. Mason, you gotta get in here. This is, this is like an old TV station or something. Yeah, uh, guys, I really don't it's, want... It's moist, but it's not too bad. That there's not a, There's not a not too bad there. All of this stuff works too. At least everything I've tried. Is that thing running Adobe Premiere? I mean, who's paying for the Adobe subscription in the back rooms? That's guys, exorbitant. Guys, just do it. But I don't. It'll be over before you know it. Oh, this sucks. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, Mason. Come on. There are innumerable once-in-a-lifetime experiences that I have absolutely no interest in, and and this is one of them. Either you suck it up and crawl into the carpet, or you're stuck alone in a maze of infinite yellow hallways up there by yourself. Yeah, I think this entrance is. Pretty definitively one way. Oh, I can't believe you two. Okay. Oh, oh, oh my God! It smells like old beef stroganoff. Ew, 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 ew. I thought it was more ew. like a hot candy kind of smell. I am gonna, I'm gonna hurl. This better be fast. Oh my God! I can't believe I'm doing Mason, this. Just, just go. The longer you wait there, the worse it's gonna be. Seriously. Right, right, right. Okay, okay, right. Three, two, uh, three, two, one. Thanks for listening to Digital Folklore. If you like the show, make sure you tell a friend or two and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Special thanks for folks from our Discord community who provided some audio samples of thoughts about the show, ways that this has impacted their life and the function of folklore in society. And uh, if you want to become part of that community, feel free to join us on Discord. It's super easy to join and there's a link in the show notes. Special thanks to Dr. Brittany Warman and Dr. Sarah Cleto from the Carter Haas School of Folklore and the Fantastic. You can check out their website in the show notes. And thanks as well to Rich Daigle for providing the voice of Todd and Brooke Jeanette for providing the voice of Digby. Digital Folklore is a production of Eighth Layer Media, which is currently stuck in the back rooms. But we're cautiously optimistic. You know, if we got stuck on Layer 8, that would have been pretty cool. That, that would have been too on the nose. And 27 is like a prime number, right? I think so. I have no idea, actually. Yeah, I don't think 27 is divisible by anything. Well, we'll check your math in the meantime, and then we will catch you Wait. next. Oh. Hey, Siri, is 27 a prime number? No. Oh, oh. that's right. It's three times nine. Thanks right? for listening, and we'll see you next time. Holy smokes.
jokes you weren't kidding. It's like a whole studio up here. You smell like almond water. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.